I, I think that summer we we made like three hundred dollars in profit or something like that. Maybe maybe four hundred dollars total. And uh, yeah, it was uh, <laughs> for a ten year old. That's it's kind of cool, right? That's like a crazy amount of money. So and your parents stole great. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they were like they they thought it was cool, but uh, we made a total mess in the garage. So. <laughs> And that is one of our guests from today's episode. I'm your host Karthik. Welcome back to the show. On this podcast, I sit down with creative thinkers, entrepreneurs, artists who have swam against the tide to follow what they truly believe in. If this is the first time you're tuning into the show, do consider subscribing. On the show, no two episodes are similar, and the conversations are sure to leave you amazed, knowledgeable, and hopefully entertained. For example, in the last episode, we had Josh Rossi, a commercial photographer, where we talked about influencer marketing, creative entrepreneurship, and making a difference to the world with what you have as a skill. In today's episode, we have not one but two people, and the best part is they are brothers. Here's the interesting thing about what they do. They love healthy snacks and saw a gaping hole that they believed needed to be fixed and that was worthy of their time and money to do that they started a company not too long ago called desk nibbles and have grown and scaled that company and its operations across multiple cities in canada i can't wait to get into this conversation but before we jumped into the episode here is a quick word of support think about this back in the early 2000s a lot of creative business owners started using MySpace to showcase their work and also grow their businesses. Jim was one of them. But in just a few years, Facebook arrived and a lot of their businesses including Jim's found themselves in a deserted place and had to literally start from scratch. Jim lost all his leads, customer contacts and everything else he had going on in, inside of MySpace. Now this is bound to happen when you rent a place like a social media platform to grow your business and brand. Here is something I want you to consider. Take full control of your business and your brand. Bring all your customers and leads into your own website. And you can do this all by yourself without having to spend thousands of dollars on a web agency. Thrive Membership by Thrive Themes can help you do just that. You can have a website completely from scratch in just a few hours. Thrive Membership comes with a ton of ready-made design templates, lets you collect email addresses and also comes with 11 powerful tools to build your business presence online and for all of this you just pay $19 a month not a penny more to learn more about thrive membership head over to designyourthinking.com slash thrive i use this personally and if you have any questions do drop me an email to hello at designyourthinking.com with thrive in the subject line and me or my team will be happy to help you get unstuck again the link is designyourthinking.com slash thrive so 
from the DYT Studios. It's the Design Your Thinking podcast, a show about creators, entrepreneurs, and nonconformists, and the stories behind the decisions they made that completely changed the future of their lives and businesses. And now your host, Karthik. So, Snacks, when I read about your company and your work, um, you know, I was like thinking, why, why did it not strike to me? I, you know, it was so obvious to me that snacking is such a big problem. And uh, I, I don't know uh, why it did not strike to me and so many others who are probably listening at this point. What was so obvious to you about this niche that you're in? Yeah, so Emil here. Uh it kind of it kind of evolved over time. I uh, so myself, I came from a, a tech background, and I worked at uh, some some different uh, tech companies uh, as a software engineer, mm-hmm. and that's where I kind of first saw it firsthand. Where you know a lot of a lot of these um, you know companies that spend a lot on wellness and, and great perks for the office and the employees. Right. Uh, I kind of saw it there where they were offering you know some free fruit, some free snacks, delicious fruit, um, and just doing a really good job at, uh, at, at offering this, this perk for the employees. Mm-hmm. And that's when I realized, oh, wow, like, you know, you know, why doesn't every company do this? Right. Uh, why is this not possible everywhere? And, uh, yeah, it kind of just struck me when I started looking into how they were managing it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it was a lot bigger of a process than I realized. Uh, no one's necessarily, you know, signing up to be the grocery shopper for an office. And uh, it was it was just a tough operation to run. Yeah, I think we, we never uh, we never really expected the market to be as big as it was, and we never expected the business to grow to such a point and to see such an opportunity still in the future. Um, we we thought that we were just going to make some pocket change, but wow. really, um, I guess it the the best thing we ever did was just to get started and to. To continue to understand how can we scale, how can we grow the business, um, and yeah, I mean it's it's a huge a huge industry. Just to put it into perspective, um, you know you've got uh, you've got one company that does sells office supplies across North America, mm-hmm. and they do over a billion dollars selling snacks and coffee to offices across North America. That's one public company. So wow. if you can put together. Amazon's, the Walmart, the Costco, the Grand and Toy, the Staples of the world. Um, I mean, it's really a very big market. What we eat has a big impact on how we think and what we do. With long hours at work and excess pressure of having to deal with stress, a lot of people in the corporate world have been increasingly dealing with issues like anxiety, depression, heart and stomach ailments. Many companies started to seemingly address this problem with offering free food but this has led to even worse eating and food habits thanks to junk food. 
Emil and Cassie clearly saw this problem and being the entrepreneurs that they are, also saw a sizable market in the billions. So before I got too far with this conversation, I asked Emil and Cassie to introduce themselves. So um, my name is Cassie. I am the older brother by uh, by two years. And uh, basically, I, I, I'm, I grew up in Ottawa. I was born in, in Canada on the East Coast in New Brunswick and uh, grew up in Ottawa, studied at the University of Ottawa. I studied finance. And uh, after graduating, I worked in uh, big consulting for about two years. And then after that, I moved to Vienna, Austria and Munich, Germany. I basically spent another two years there uh, doing sales for an IT consulting company. And uh, that was an incredible experience. But throughout my entire life, um, I was entrepreneurial and had loved solving problems and, and building products for people with a mill. And we just, this is probably one of many things that we'd worked on together in the past. I think we've probably worked on almost 10, 10 or 15 things in the past. Yeah, and uh, Emil here, um, the younger brother, but uh, I think with the business, I've been aging a little bit quicker. Uh, so uh, myself, again, like I said earlier, uh, I, I came from a technical background. I, so I studied uh, computer science at uh, Carleton University. Uh, university here in Ottawa and Canada and uh, after that uh, and during school worked at some some companies and, and also uh, the government uh, and then most recently uh, a large e-commerce uh, platform in Canada uh, and uh, yeah along the way just kind of built always was building little projects on the side and uh, I guess working with Cassie to figure out how we could make a make some money off of it were the two of you always this entrepreneurial kinds like give me a sense as to when was the first time the two of you did quote-unquote business together i think the first one was probably i was 10 and emil was eight and uh we we used to live on a right beside a park mm -hmm. and there are a lot of kids in our neighborhood and so we would we set up a garage where we would fix bikes mm -hmm. and then um so we would take turns fixing bikes and then also selling uh Gatorade outside of our our parents garage so we'd have you know kids biking by and they'd come by we would you know fix their uh their chain or uh, you know change their their tires for them or we were we even built like fully customized miniature bikes by you know pulling parts together that we would find um at the dump and in places that people would throw them away and wow. so that was probably the first um business that that we ever did together wow making bikes from dump I mean, did you have any, any sort of an influence, uh, say, from your parents or somebody that made you think this way? Because typically, uh, I, I could imagine kids aged 10 or 8 are not going to be thinking about uh, making custom bikes or fixing others' bikes or selling Gatorade. They would probably be thinking about going, to the, uh, going and playing video games. I don't know what. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I think yeah. we just, like... We were just looking for something to do, <laughs> and uh, we had a lot of energy, right? Two two young boys, uh, and I think our parents just told us, you know, go outside, go 
you know, go hang out outside and, and whatever. And we just, uh, yeah, I think we were just bored. And, and what did they I, think I, when you, when you started fixing bikes? Uh, I don't know. I think they were, they were excited for us. Like our, our parents aren't really entrepreneurial, though they're, they're interested in entrepreneurship and, uh, they're totally supportive of everything we do. They're amazing. Um, we've had, you know, entrepreneurs in the family, uh, whether great grandparents or mm-hmm. uncles and aunts here and there. But really, I think I think that summer was uh, a defining moment. I remember having, you know, a couple hundred dollars in, in cash in my wallet and uh, and then going to to the, the, the store, the corner store with friends and buying, you know, cans of Coca-Cola for everyone and just feeling like a total boss. Right. And so that was that was probably a pretty good defining moment for both of us. Well, and and how did your parents react when you brought in hundred dollars of plus? I, I think that summer we we made like three hundred dollars in profit or something like that. Maybe maybe four hundred dollars total. And uh, yeah, it was uh, <laughs> for a ten year old. That's it's kind of cool, right? That's like a crazy amount of money. So and your parents told great. Yeah, I mean, I I think they were like they they thought it was cool, but. Uh, we made a total mess in the garage, so. <laughs> so uh, you guys were building, you're fixing bikes and also making custom bikes. And what what took, what took happened? Why did you stop that and think you should probably do something else? Uh, well, I, th- I think the summer was over. And then we did so many. So, And then since then, we did a bunch of other things. Like we, you know, we'd sell candy at summer camps. I, I used to bring a... A suitcase full of candy uh, to the summer camp and sell it there to kids. We would, um, we created a, a, we did a Kickstarter campaign where we sold a piece of software. Right. Uh, we ran a hedge trimming business. We where we had several hundred customers. We ended up selling the, the customer list and some of the the equipment. Um, we ran a, a an e-commerce business where we sold pool floats. Wow. Uh, Really, we've done. We, we ran one of the early Amazon affiliate sites where mm-hmm. we created, um, like I, I remember it was at the time when, um, like Pinterest just started doing the infinite scrolling, mm-hmm. um, and at the time we thought that was kind of cool. So we thought, why not make an infinite scrolling um, website where you can scroll through hundreds of products similar to uh, like an Uncrate, but you have a really cool video that you you watch and then you can order through amazon directly there um yeah so we, we did all kinds of stuff i mean really and i think that's really just like scratching the surface there's so many that i i don't even remember i think we we used to keep notebooks full of kind of crazy different ideas and we would we would talk so we would work on one and we try to validate it as quickly as possible through actual sales and with little effort as possible really getting to that mvp because we just didn't have them right we were kids so we didn't have the money to actually invest in creating like a real product so we really had to be scrappy and and build the bare bones mvp and um basically we would if the idea didn't work we'd go back to the drawing board and we basically shoot out different ideas to one another and the whole idea was just to add like kill the idea and to apply extreme logic to to deciding on whether we would start working on that idea and uh i think that really helped because it helped to to um to really give each other good feedback 
and build thick skin in receiving that feedback and having like a, a super logical approach to decision making. Right. So, so Emil, uh, while Cassie was doing all of this, uh, what what was your mind thinking? Just go go with the flow, go with the brother, the older brother decides. Yeah, I think that was part of it. I, I don't think, I think when I would definitely, when I was uh, like much younger, I wasn't mm-hmm. necessarily super interested in, uh, you know, necessarily creating a business or, you know, needing to make money. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I definitely remember always like enjoying building, you know, little structures or building random things. I, yeah, I, me- I remember once uh, Emil, Emil was like always the builder, right? And mm-hmm. I, I think it's funny because our parents are similar. My, our father is super technical, did a mm-hmm. PhD in physics. And then our, our and on the very technical and, and really uh, very different than our mother. Our mother is more of a communicator people person she's like a you know like a therapist she studied uh psychology and um you know works with people all day in 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 hr now and so she's uh so really i think i got more of my mom's side where emil got our dad's side he's the engineer remember we had uh, pet mice at the house Uh emil used to build uh structures for them all kinds of like like buildings and stuff and like circus (laughs) but uh but I think at one point, though, I kind of shifted my mind and realized what we could accomplish um, maybe in my teenage years and, and mm-hmm. it got a little bit more motivated. But I think all of these were kind of like little side projects that yeah. we we maybe weren't patient enough with and maybe mm-hmm. didn't give it focus enough. And I think eventually we kind of we got we got to it in the last years where we realized, like, you know, I think something to build something real, it takes some focus like it needs at least like, you know, eight when- months to really validate it. When did when did that kind of a realization happen? Um, like you said, doing so many you know ten fifteen plus projects together, on, you know, in summers is one thing. But when was the time when when it actually struck to you, and who did it strike to that? Hey, we probably need to give this more attention. I think it kind of struck to us both separately because I mean, of course, we we worked on our own projects at, at the same time too with mm-hmm. other groups of friends. Um, and I think Cassie had a similar experience, but I remember, I remember with my group of friends studying computer science, we tried to build this. Uh, it was like some kind of social, social media type fashion app, and mm-hmm. you know, we, we realized pretty quickly, like you know, just to even build something uh, that was simple, it was going to take some time, and it just it right. just failed over time, and it made us angry at each other as friends. Uh, but that was, I think, my realization, and that was around uh, in university. Um, and I think Cassie had a similar realization, but I knew I knew for me at that point, like if we really wanted to try something, it couldn't just be like a three month project and mm-hmm. you know see what happens. But it would really have to take some some serious focus and you right. know full time effort uh, right. for at least six months to see like what's what's actually happening. Right. So so uh, you were in university, and uh, Cassie, you must have. Uh, uh been working by then or were you somewhere in vienna or were you still in yeah so i was i was working um at this big consulting company in ottawa Mm -hmm. and then um i i decided to move and just as i had decided to move this was in late 2016 so probably october 2016 i think it was um we so we thought of this idea we threw up a landing page in about 24 hours and we started driving traffic to the landing page we said how many sales can we get 
and how can we validate this as soon as possible with the smallest amount of effort. Mm-hmm. So we did that. Um, about one and a half weeks later, I, I moved to Vienna, Austria. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we just, we, we kind of like were on the side working on this and, um, you know, trying to figure things out. And so really it wasn't a lot of effort in the mm-hmm. beginning, I would say, but as, as the business grew, we realized the potential and it just kind of snowballed from there. But I've got to say, like, I, we, although we've done 10 to 15 things, it right. really feels like, like this is the first, this is the really the first time where we are like first time founders, because it's something right. where, you know, we have a payroll to pay with, um, multiple staff. We're scaling the business. It's mm-hmm. kind of at like the point of no return now where we're making, you know, decent revenues and the business is growing at a decent click. And um, so, yeah, it's been an incredible learning experience. Um, but, yeah, I think it's interesting because if I look back at some of the other ideas that we we did in the past, mm-hmm. like it's um, I, th- I think it really does boil down to the amount of effort and execution that you put on things. Right. So. Um, like all of those little things went into, were like miniature lessons in one way or another towards this, right. uh, this is almost like the ultimate lesson, right? So interesting. So if I, you know, if I were to really ask you what, what did you do differently other than of course, executing and giving it time in, in the case of desk nibbles, that was not the case when you did any of the earlier projects, was it? something related to the way you thought about money or what happened? Was it, was it because you Cassie were working in a company and you were thinking of now building a company? What, what, what was the motivation? I think, I think having like formal work experience is super important. When, when I talk to co-op students or students that are just graduating, Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll always tell them like, Hey, like go get some work experience working for, uh, a company so that you can see what it's like to scale up at, at the company in, in Europe that I was working for. We went from like 150 to 300 employees in a year and a half, mm-hmm. uh, expanding to multiple countries across Europe. And so I saw that firsthand. I knew, I, I knew the founder, um, you know, my boss who was the manager of central mm-hmm. Europe. I saw everything that, that was going on in his life. And it was an incredible learning experience that you, you can't get anywhere else. And so I was able to avoid mistakes and learn a lot from them. And Emil as well, Emil, although he had just graduated university, he worked full-time all throughout university, full-time and studied full-time. Um, wow. So he had like four years of experience under his belt by the time he actually graduated. And so right. um, I think it definitely helped because there's certain things, especially when it comes to scaling and building processes um, that that you need to learn from others who are more experienced. Emil, probably this is a question for you. What are the two things that you learned in, in those early days when you were actually going to school or college and then you had this work that was happening, quote-unquote work happening? What are the two biggest lessons you learned that you think has been pretty important in defining those early days of uh, you know, success or whatever at desk nibbles. We'll get into success later though. Yeah. I mean, still like I, I still feel like the biggest lesson and, you know, difference in, in when we started desk nibbles was patience. 
Mm-hmm. Like, you know, of course we were trying to validate as quickly as possible, but I think, you know, some patience and consistency was super important. Uh, but for me, like a lot of my lessons happen, like I think, you know, starting out on decimals, um, you know, it was just me in, in Canada at mm-hmm. the time. And, uh, so it was kind of a good learning experience because for me, a lot of the stuff I wanted to do normally was, you know, like build or like go right. try and work on some, you know, technology in the background. But I mean, it's kind of a good experience with, with, with the starting of decimals. Like I, I really had to put myself out there and, and, you know, go learn, uh, how to help with sales, like how to, you know, actually talk to customers, how to actually see, you know, why people would pay money for this or why not. Um, and I think that was, that was like the, the best learning experience that I still find super important now. Right. So Cassie, now, um, I know it's like pretty hard to do two things in tandem, right. Or, or to begin with, but you were kind of managing work and also this thing that is still not a company, but an experiment yeah. you've been running. Yeah. So probably like the first six months was just, uh, not super busy, mm-hmm. but, uh, I mean, slowly it just started to get crazy. I mean, I remember I'd get home from work at like six, 7 PM and then I, I would work until, until like 1 AM I'd boil an egg in the meantime while I'm working and I'm on, I'm on phone calls and like, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. have a, a piece of bread with, with almond butter on it. And, you know, that was my dinner and I'd just be like on the phone, figuring things out, helping here and there. And then, you know, all weekends, every weekend I was, I was working and, um, it was crazy, but it was totally worth it. And it was a great learning experience. And I think like, um, that also forced me and I think it forced us to, especially for me, like it it forced me to focus on what was most important and just to prioritize relentlessly, really focus on the most important things for the business. Interesting. So, um, you know, I think we're getting too closer to your business, the current current business, which is uh, desk nibbles. So uh, let me let me get things a little cleared up here. Can you first of all talk about what the business does today? Today, and uh, what? How do you make money? Sure. So um, the basic premise is: let's say you have, if you've ever ordered food. Um, for an office of over 20 people, mm-hmm. it's very, it's, it's a pain and it's, it's really difficult to make everyone happy and to stay within budget because you've got people that are vegan, vegetarian, gluten-free, kosher, halal. And right. so to meet their, their budget rest- or their, their dietary restrictions and also be within budget is really difficult. You have to go around, you have to understand what everybody's preferences are. You have to track them. You have to place the order. You have to do research on the products that you're buying and then you have to make sure it's all within budget. And so we thought, you know, we can solve this with software and we can create software tools that help make this easier. And so really the first thing that we built was a Slack chatbot uh-huh. that employees in an office can talk to. And that chatbot learns over time what the preferences and needs are of your office. And so, um, you know, essentially it, it lives in Slack, Slack chat. And if mm-hmm. anyone has used Slack before, it's like a WhatsApp or Facebook Messenger for your office, instant messaging in the office. Right. So this chatbot can talk to employees. It learns over time. And then you have an administrator in the office, usually office manager or someone mm-hmm. that's doing the 
purchasing and they just need to tell us their budget. And so based on that information, um, you get your order that's delivered every single week. And so we operate around Canada and we take a small commission from the, uh, the distributor that essentially we're connecting to do the delivery to the office. So you, you don't do the de- delivery. You, you, can I say you are the Uber for snacks? We're like, I would say we are, so in certain cities, we do the delivery today. Um, and, and those are in, in two or three major cities in Canada. But really, we did that because, um, you know, we we couldn't scale the business the other way by connecting mm-hmm. distributors because we didn't have a reputation and we didn't have the order minimums. We didn't we didn't even know we could do that. Right. And so mm-hmm. uh, it's only until recently that we've shifted the business completely to be able to do that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you could call us. We are like the we are like an online marketplace that connects distributors directly to offices so that they can, you know, you're cutting out the retailer and you get wholesale pricing for essentially any kind of snacks, beverages, fruit, coffee that you might need. Right. And um, and typically this happens when, uh, I think I've seen companies go to Costco to pick up stuff typically. On a, and you kind of take off that extra work oh, yeah. that somebody needs to put inside of that company and that, is it Right. Yep. So if you, I mean, that is like, that is probably the toughest, um, scenario that, that I, I think that I, I can't understand how you'd want to go to Costco and, and shop like that. It's really, if you factor in your time, it's really a pain, but, um, even the, in the simplest sense of ordering online groceries from Instacart or Amazon or, uh, Walmart, right. because those experiences are built for a one-to-one purchasing experience, mm-hmm. whereas what we've built is built for large groups of people to make purchases, right, right. with the chatbot. That chatbot allows your office to basically um, make purchasing for very large groups of people very simple. It's super interesting. So- Talking about all of this is nice in retrospect, but then I'm sure things were not the same way. You did not have this understanding back when, Emil, you were in, in college and you were in Vienna. How did, you, how did you go about getting to understand exactly where the problem is? For, for example, uh, for those of us listening here, uh, I'm sure this is something you can relate to. It's, it's tough for us to understand that in offices, people have different needs like you know keto uh, halal and all those needs and that people are expecting customized snacks and they're ready to pay for it now how did you go about getting to getting to this level of understanding yeah so it it came pretty slow like it it came over time um you know we just kind of started out doing every possible process just manually um, you know, we didn't necessarily build, we didn't even start building the first kind of pieces of technology until, you know, six months in and then, you know, not even making the next steps until like almost a year later. Um, so like for us, we kind of just went in and understood that there was this problem of, mm-hmm. you know, seeing for the office, purchasing, you know, f- snacks for the office, etc. Um, and, 
and just work backwards from that and slowly learn, you know, okay, so like, let's, you know, if, if we, if we map out this, the pieces of this and we start, you know, fulfilling piece by piece, like, you know, making the, um, you know, feedback part easy, right? How do we understand what everyone needs in the office? Let's do this manually for now. Let's, let's talk to every employee in the office and be, be the manual chatbot to learn, mm-hmm. um, on how we can fulfill everyone's dietary needs. And then over time, um, with those learnings, learn from that experience, what could actually be automated from this and what would actually build an amazing experience for these offices. Um, and still today, it's still the way we kind of learn is just, you know, if we have, you know, uh, an interesting belief or reason to, to work on something, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it can come from combined intuition of, of the team, um, you know, understanding the business and understanding the customers. It can come from, you know, directly from the customers telling us certain things. Um, or it could come from, you know, looking at data now at this point mm-hmm. and seeing and seeing what, what, where things are actually moving towards. Um, but yeah, if, even after even after looking at all that, we'll we'll go and take you know a manual, the easiest possible manual solution, hmm. and and then see what actually happens. How big is the company today? So in total, we're about twenty two employees, um, and uh, it's a mix of uh, I guess mainly uh, dev, sales, uh, and then there's marketing, and then general operations. So how? Let's let's imagine that you have uh, you you learn something new about your customers, your market, or whatever it could be. It could be even about your teams and whatever it is. How how do you get stuff done? How do you plan to accomplish things? You know, just to give examples, I've seen some people say that hey, I chunk things up. Some say that I break them down into projects. Some say I have goals. What's your style? Uh, I think overall as a company, it definitely trickles down from from goals first. Um, you know, we'll write out what our what our goals are for the year, basically, mm-hmm. uh, and even even smaller than that for for the quarter. What are the goals for the next uh, basically three months? Uh, but from there, like when we actually identify, you know, because the goals can kind of be vague sometimes, and you know, I think people definitely need. Like when you're working on a team, I think every individual needs their, you know, creative, uh, creative ability to, Mm -hmm. to basically get towards that goal. However, they, they know best. Um, and I think that's super important. Uh, it's it's probably changed too throughout throughout the life of the business. Like this company, because we've grown so fast, we've gone from, you know, effectively five employees, uh, so we went from from you know the two of us mm-hmm. in 2016 at the very beginning right. up until you know the end of of uh, 2007. So the beginning of 2018, then we were five people, mm-hmm. and then at the end of 2018, now uh, today we're about uh, 22 people, right? So the company has really changed every six months, and I think the way that we do things has changed too. So if I think in very early days, the first year and a half, it was like, okay, how can we, how can we make, what is the most impactful thing I can do today to make a dollar? Hmm. And so it's like, okay, everyone is, so everyone is doing sales. Meanwhile, this person is helping to create marketing, um, collateral or sales collateral. 
Um, this person is improving the uh, website to make it look nicer. This person is creating Google AdWords. And so it was like everyone just did kind of everything where, where probably the main emphasis was on really, really focused on sales and, and right. product discovery and understanding what uh, what um, resonated with customers. Mm-hmm. Six months later, then it was more so like, okay, let's start to set a goal. Like our goals, we were starting to get more of a product market fit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it, yeah, it always start it now. I mean, after that kind of really zero to one phase, it's been um, now figuring out what, so based off of our goals, um, and we have really great leaders on the team. So people, people leaders, and then also technical leaders. Mm-hmm. And so we just, and we trust everyone. So we, we say, okay, here are, here are the goals. Let's set them together as a group based on you know, what we, how we know we're acquiring customers and how we know that we're growing. And, um, and based on those goals, um, it's up to the team to, to understand what the, the projects are that we should focus on. And, uh, usually that's very heavily involves the, uh, the customer and using kind of the customer data to make those decisions. So, uh, you started in October, 2016 and the whole of 2017, you were actually working to find out exactly what problem needed to be, or which part of the problem you needed to take on first, mm-hmm. right? I mean, yeah. I'm just trying to uh, summarize the, that year. Correct me here. Yeah. And twenty seventeen was like was like running around with our like chickens with our heads cut off and trying to figure out what to focus on, really, right? And I think it wasn't until two thousand eighteen very early on where we started to find product market fit and started to really, um, started to really grow. Mm -hmm. And then we started to understand kind of, um, let's say our customer jobs, which customer jobs were we solving? Right. And, uh, that was like super insightful for us. So talk, talk to, uh, talk to us about that moment when you actually discovered that this is indeed the right product for this market. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm sure the two of you got together over whatever it is in the evening or night and then had this conversation. How, how did it look like? So I think sales, so at around the end of, so 2017 was a pretty flat year mm-hmm. um, with like some growth throughout the year in 2017. But towards the end of the year, we started to really hit our stride. Um, and then, and then all of a sudden in 2018, um, first three, four months were just crazy. And I think we started to figure out, um, the sales process and we tracked, we tracked metrics from a like very early on point mm-hmm. in the business. And, um, and I think those were moments where we, we started to realize like, uh, you know, what was working, what wasn't working, talking to customers. Um, I guess yeah. it's, it's really like, there's so many things that came together. It's insane to think that it's, it was only a year, year and a half ago that, mm-hmm. um, and like two years ago that we started the company really, because there's so much that happened. It's like, uh, I think if I were to write down every milestone, mm-hmm. it, it would be like a, a 50 to a hundred page book. As you grow your business, you obviously need money, and and I know that um, you know when I looked up 
data on Crunchbase, I did, I did realize that you have raised capital in debt. Now, yeah. now doing that requires you to have some level of confidence in terms of the product, the business and all of that. Mm-hmm. At what at what point did you get to that? And what was the conversation that the two of you had? So that was in, um, so that was in early 2018. So really in the beginning of 2018, we started to grow at a pretty good rate. It was like 30, 40% every month. Mm-hmm. It was crazy. I mean, we, and then we saw based on the data, how we were growing and we said, how can we continue to sustain this growth? What do we need to do? Can we increase this growth and go even faster? And so at the time, because we were bootstrapped, it was like, okay, every dollar of profit, what do I put this dollar of profit towards? And we were at at zero sum. So meaning our bank account, although we were adding and, and um, you know, we were adding profit, mm-hmm. uh, or we would add like, let's say a new employee to the sales team or a new employee to the customer support team. And so um, at the end of the day, we were, we were zero sum because we were investing further in growth. Right. And then in April, we said, okay, what if we raise capital? And so we didn't want to necessarily have to go down the VC route because mm-hmm. going down that route, I think, as you know, you're really committing to something. And at the time, we weren't sure if the company could be a venture backable company, mm-hmm. um, if it fit that model. And so um, so we, we, we found an incredible way uh, with an amazing organization, BDC, in Canada that gave us uh, a 250k loan and so that that loan really helped us to expand and and since then um, we've pretty much tripled our monthly revenue in in eight months not even eight months I think six months later Wow and uh, you made a statement just a moment back that you did not want to go the VC route because you did not know if you had enough knowledge about the business in terms of where it is going. Now, if I were having such thoughts, I would probably want to bounce it off across somebody who knew something better than Mm -hmm. me. Do you have people that you fall back on? Oh, yeah. I mean, we wouldn't, like, we we take a lot of pride in in being, like, learning machines. And uh, I think it's really important to understand who, who to learn what from. Um, and not to, to, uh, and and basically to understand who's the, who are the best people that you can lean on and to get those perspectives. Um, we have an an incredible support group through invest Ottawa, um, which is a regional innovation center in Ottawa Mm -hmm. through, you know, the, the community in Ottawa, uh, fresh founders, which is a group of young founders in Ottawa. Um, and then also more experienced founders that are that are in our community and across the country and even in the U.S. There there are a few that you know we we lean on for advice and um, I mean it's really helped us speed up our learning. That's nice. um, like even even if if the company were to fail tomorrow, that knowledge is going to stick with us forever, right? So Absolutely. it's really, um, you know it's it's powerful, right? It's it's. I think life is is about growth and, and learning and right. um, yeah. I mean, we're super incredibly lucky to have these people. You have a team that's twenty plus at this point. What I've seen and 
experienced is is that culture that you establish in that company in the first five, the first ten, the first dozen, first twenty in your case is what defines the way the company reacts and does things. How do you describe the culture at your company? Yeah, I'd say I mean the first thing that we're we're all really big on is is being infinite learners and you know we have a, a free library for anyone to you know shared audible library uh, for anyone to use and you know free books in the office so it's been a big push i think that's something we all realize that's that's super important uh, i guess the second thing is is to realize that you can you know challenge ideas mm-hmm. and not taking it personally so so be really big open on uh, you know challenging things to make sure we can come up with the right solution and then i guess I guess after that, I would say uh, maybe the 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 more important thing is just to like try try things. Um, you know, we've had a big culture on just trying and not being you know afraid to fail. And like sometimes it's more important to fail because then you 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 actually realize like what what to fix. What are some of the personal beliefs that you think affects a lot in? these decisions that you end up making in the company or in general as a person I mean I think I guess I'm, I'm a big believer in in calmness and logic mm-hmm. I think uh, you know those are two very key things that can help you throughout your life and personal life in general I think people have to realize that you know the brain is a tool and uh you know the same thing when you get stressed on on certain things you know that's a tool to 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 motivate yourself to do something but not necessarily you know what you should base your decision off of just because you're stressed and you shouldn't necessarily just rush because of that pure reason mm-hmm. yeah it's funny mill mill is probably more he he's he's so calm it's uh it's crazy you can ask anyone that knows mill anyone that's listening will probably laugh because uh definitely between us although he's a younger brother he's a lot calmer there will be certain moments where maybe you know we're just talking and I'll react to something um and uh I think I'm probably the more emotional more uh kind of let's say uh <laughs> like creative spontaneous mm-hmm. mind mm-hmm. but uh I think like I I do also really respect logic and I think we've never really had a true disagreement in the business yet um because it's always like very you know very logical uh conversations that we're having and then if there is a disagreement then we can agree on you know just trying to prove that in a small way and and failing and if we fail then at least we figure it out really really quickly and um we fail efficiently let's say right so um but yeah, I mean, otherwise, like, you know, patience is important. Um, just just being like having good values and, and, you know, caring for other people, being empathetic for for others um, also goes a long way. I think that also helps with being empathetic with your customers, too, which is important. Um, right. But uh, you probably had a ton of decisions that you had to make as a business, uh, as brothers in the business. Uh, wondering if there was a time when you had a crucial decision to make that you were not able to reach consensus on and you needed some external help. Um, 
I, I can't think of anything really. Like yeah, a major no, decision. Had a major decision we couldn't. Maybe it was like maybe maybe raising money when we did that amount of debt. Like we we were really arguing on like the the idea of is it better to raise uh, to raise uh, dilutive capital with angels or a VC at that stage, or at that stage was it better to do debt? And so you know it'd be like. I think that was really challenging because we discovered that it comes down to being a personal decision. And so we had to make that personal decision together um, on what we were going to do. And I think it, we're lucky that we're, we're brothers. We're in a similar financial situation. We're in a similar, um, you know, we're, we're similar age. We're in a similar life situation, right? Where um, like that was the best option for the business, uh, or, and, and for us too. Right. So, but yeah, that was probably, that was probably the biggest one, but, uh, yeah, I, I think that's it really. Like any other major decisions we've come to have always, they, they've seemed easy to make that's as funny. a team. You are a young company, but you, you're also on this mission. When I look at your website, the first thing that I realized that you're on a mission to make work happier. Right. Mm. I mean, we all do this. We kind of start with the goal and after some time we start to move that goal post farther away into bigger, loftier ones. Yeah. What does success mean to you? That's a good question. Um, so I think success to me means like continuous growth and like in, in every way, right? So, you know, personally in your relationships, personally with your financial um, goals, personal and, and, and with the business in particular, it's, it's just growth in general. And, and I think like that's impacting and we live on this earth to make ourselves happy and to make others happy, right? So um, how can we impact and make more people happy? I think like the idea of, of snacks and offices, perks are not necessarily going to make your, your place a great place to work, right? But I think there are other ways that you can impact people at work. Um, you know, even, and, and these are things that do make people happy, right? So, um, and by recognizing people as individuals in an office can have an impact. So we're working on a lot of really cool things to take kind of this idea of making work happier um and there's some really exciting things we have in the pipeline we can't really talk about but um like i'll, I'll give one example in the simplest way is uh we delivered so we had one customer who requested to the chatbot if they could have a kinder surprise egg mm -hmm. and so that next monday we got an email from the office manager in all caps and they said you guys are amazing. You sent a giant, and, and they sent us a picture. <laughs> and the picture was of the entire office around this employee that was holding a giant Kinder Surprise egg. <laughs> and so the basically, you know, this employee felt very special. They felt recognized. And, um, you know, who knows what, what the, you know, they're going through. Maybe they're having a bad day and and this just lifted them up and it gave the entire office, uh, you know, smile. And so doing things like this and, and there are a few other things that, you know, we're working on that 
have a similar sort of flavor. But um, yeah, I think it's like, you know, the, the whole idea if we live on this earth to make ourselves happy and those people that are around us and other people in general happy is, uh, is powerful. Can you recall something really, really crazy that you did to make someone happy? We did some crazy. We, we did one thing. I can think of one thing. Like we yeah. brought a petting zoo. So oh, yeah. yeah, we brought a, a petting zoo to one customer's office. Oh. Yeah. That was oh. crazy. They had uh, an alligator, snakes, uh, cute uh, baby bunny rabbits, uh, baby hedgehog, all kinds of uh, cute animals, an owl in their office. So all kinds of rescue animals through this organization that we work with, um, fitting the kind of cute desk nibbles theme that we've we've created around the brand. And that was kind of crazy. That was cool. Yeah, yeah I remember seeing, seeing a video about that, I think, somewhere. Not too sure. Yeah. I saw a snake and whatnot. So today you're present in Canada, and uh, do you have bigger plans to get out of the country? And yeah, we do. Elsewhere? I mean... We have a we have a global vision, and uh, I I don't think there's any reason why why we why that that can't happen. And uh, I mean we're we're really excited about the future. And I think it's going to happen a lot faster than we expect. So, um, you know, where I hope I, I I think desk nibbles um, translates well into other languages. Yeah, <laughs> where do you see yourself end of 2019? So, end of 2019, I think uh, the team's going to grow, and uh, we want to be we want to continue to to be the leader in Canada, mm-hmm. and uh, to enter even more offices in Canada. And I think there are few um, few cities uh, in the U.S. perhaps that uh, that we we'll see where we're at. Yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, for me, 2019, I would, I would love to get some, I guess, clarity on, and I think it's important maybe that I never get clarity on it, but maybe clarity on what, what we should build next, if that makes any sense. But that's what I'll leave it at. Great. So uh, it's been like two, two and a half years or three years almost. Um, what, what do you, what do you think your parents think of what you've done? I think they're, they're really excited. They're always super supportive. I mean, we, we basically moved back in with them so we could work on the business. Mm-hmm. So I think they're, they're happy to have us around. Uh, so maybe they don't want, they don't want the business to grow too big so that they can keep us, keep <laughs> us, uh, yeah, they want us to stick around. I, I, I'm, we're super happy to be to be uh, you know close to them, and they're so proud and so supportive of us. We we really truly would not be able to do this without them. Um, I know it's cliche, but it's it's so true. It's so so true. Emil and Cassie have been looking to do a lot more good to the world around beyond just making people happy at workplaces. Yeah, so we've, um, very early on in the business, um, 
<clears throat> we made a commitment and we said we want to, you know, we want to make a difference, right? We we want to help others mm-hmm. that uh, that are in need. And so this past uh, over the holidays, we decided to help sponsor a wish mm-hmm. for yeah, a child that uh, has an illness. And so um, we're supporting. There's a, uh, a an amazing little girl that um, we're helping to to grant her wish through the Make-A-Wish Foundation. And so um, we were doing a campaign, the Desk Nibbles Make-A-Wish uh, campaign to make her wish come true, and we're raising $10,000. Um, and so we're really excited about that because uh, it's uh, an amazing story and uh, you know something that we want to support. That was Emil and Cassie Eight from Desk Nibbles. And I really hope this conversation truly inspired you to actually start spending time on doing things that you really love. You can reach Emil and Cassie on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and on their website. I'll have the links to all of this in the show notes, which you can find at designyourthinking.com slash S2E13. That's season two, episode 13. All right, now it's time for a quick trip to the future. Here's a preview from what's coming next week, just for you. I read a lot about technology and automation, uh, and I have a a big interest in all that. Um, And I think it is the way the world is going. But the craft industry, I think, is something, like the craft industry is just different. People don't necessarily want something to be cheaper. Like I have plenty of customers who, who will pay the price for say a clock, and the the clocks aren't cheap. Um, so say my 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 top selling or my my best quality clock would be two hundred and ten euros. So it, it's by no means cheap, but I never set out to make a cheap product. So I made I set out to make a handmade product which is made in Ireland with the highest quality materials. And that's kind of the the driving factor behind my business. That's the ethos. That's an interview with Connor Lynch. He's a woodturner from Ireland and he's been woodturning from the age of 11. He's convinced his parents to buy him a lathe and was later on Junior Dragon's Den show, that live show which is the equivalent of Shark Tank in the UK, where he actually convinced a dragon to award him her 2,000 euro bursary to help him grow his business. Now, definitely don't miss out on this conversation where I jump really deep into the mind of this 21-year-old entrepreneur. And to make sure you don't miss out on this next episode, just hit subscribe right now wherever you're listening to this show. So if you like this episode and this show, I really, really appreciate you leaving a rating and review for the show on iTunes. If you are on an Apple device, you can head over to designyourthinking.com slash iTunes to leave a rating and review. The show is also available on Spotify, Google Play and YouTube. Just type designyourthinking.com slash Spotify or slash Google Play or slash YouTube and you can get right there. I appreciate you taking this time today. 
And until I see you with the next episode, take care and cheers.